We're going through a series on following Jesus at the moment. It's uh, akin to Pilgrim's Progress. That's the title of a book by John Bunyan many years ago, where he, he discusses the the sanctification, the discipleship of a believer between coming to faith and going to be with Christ and his family as well. His wife and children who come and follow in his footsteps. This week we're looking at the topic of God's word and not just studying the topic of God's word, which we would be tempted to do uh, in terms of a seminar and just communicate what um, people would learn at Bible college or in a Bible study. But not only to consider God's word, but to consider it in the context of our response. (coughs) Some things in life are so self-evident we take them for granted, we assume them. And approaching God's word is one of those things that we often assume how we ought to do it. And it's good to look over why we ought to do it and how significant it is. There are many things that we do take for granted. In the Bible, for example, one of the things that's taken for granted is the fact that God exists. And the first few words of the Bible are, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't start with a discussion to try and prove that God exists. In the same way, each of us assumes that we've had a father and a mother from whom we get our DNA. There are certain basic assumptions in life. In Romans chapter 1, Paul shows actually that there's good reason for assuming that everyone knows God. He says that everyone knows God, that he exists, and that we know his invisible character in creation and in life's experiences. And we perceive these things to be from God. So in Romans 1 verse 20, we're without excuse for when we reject him. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Natural revelation or seeing and understanding the the, the character of God from nature is something that is available to everyone. In fact, Paul goes on in his letter to the Romans in chapter 2 and says, God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And he explains to the intellectuals at Athens on Mars Hill, from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has predetermined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live all the constraints of our lives. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he was not far from each one of us. God wants us to reach out and to find him because he is not far from each one of us. 
But as we have preferred to do our own thing, as we've preferred to each go our own way like sheep, we've wandered. Well, instead of being blessed, people begin to wonder, can we know God? Where is he? It is us who have wandered, but in his kindness, in his grace, he's not left us to figure things out on our own. He has spoken into our situation. Not only do we have his His law, his word in, in our hearts and minds, the knowledge of right and wrong. Not only do we see in the world around us and seeing a newborn baby, seeing the, the majesty and power of God and the waves and the sky and the creation around us. God gives us his word, his written word, his special word. And we need that because you won't find the words, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you look into the tea leaves in a cup, when you look into the stars, you don't find it in all these other things that people are looking for, for guidance. You don't find this special message. God needs to give us his special revelation alongside his natural revelation, his word. And the Bible is God's gift to us, God's word to us, that we might seek him and find him. Among the other things that we often take for granted is the fact that we can read the Bible. Before William Tyndale's Bible was translated and published, back in the 1500s, according to an article in the Washington Times, just 70 years before William Shakespeare put pen to paper, there was no viable written English language. The English language was <clears throat> really not something that was in any way formed. Irish was far more of a literary written language than English at that time. The scholars wrote in Latin, while in Britain the, the nobility and the kings spoke in a, a variation of French, Norman French. And the, the peasants spoke a, a very unstructured language which was English but all, that all changed not with Shakespeare but with William Tyndale according to theologian Stephen Lawson with his New Testament William Tyndale became the father of the modern English language he shaped the syntax the grammar and the vocabulary of the English language more than any man who ever lived more than the author author Geoffrey Chaucer the playwright William Shakespeare or the poets Percy Shelley and John Keats. With Tyndale's Bible, which was the basis of the King James Bible, essentially, uh, sometime later, when it was made available through the new technology at the time of the printing press, which had as big an impact then as the internet has had recently, well, to quote the Washington Times article again, People learned to read to such an extent that, to quote it, literacy in England is directly attributable to the Bible. But Tyndale didn't just want to provide a Bible into people's hands, a translation in English. 
he did so because after leaving university and working as a schoolmaster in the house of a, a Catholic nobleman, he was astounded to to learn of how little the clergymen knew the Bible. They didn't read it. They only had extracts in their their liturgy. But more importantly, he wanted them to see that the Bible was not simply an interesting book about theology or God or history or, or whatever. He wanted them to know that the Bible was the ultimate source of authority for all matters of religion. It wasn't within Catholicism then and it isn't today because tradition is said to be on an equal footing with the Bible. But yet we can't serve two masters. One will have dominance over the other. When the two are in conflict, well, sometimes tradition is put to one side and the Bible, its truth, is what prevails. But sometimes tradition overrules the Bible. And that's not right. Where there's a conflict, you have to have one that takes the lead. And the Bible, it didn't take the lead then and it doesn't now in too many places. Tyndale wanted a Bible made available so that people could could have God's word, they would know God's word and be able to live by God's word as the supreme authority in all matters relating to faith and belief. Before he began his translation, he said to one of the clergy, as is recounted in John Fox's book of the martyrs, Tyndale was actually martyred. Um, He's mentioned in that book of martyrs because in 1536 he was burned at the stake for having committed the crime of translating the Bible into English. It was illegal then. His last words before he was strangled and then burned at the stake were, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Before he began his translation, Tyndale is said, famously to have said to a priest he was talking to, he was in conversation with, he said, if God spares my life before many years, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. That wasn't meant to be a put down or anything like that. It was meant to be a way of saying that he wanted people to know what God says, his word. He fled to the continent to do his translation and eventually smuggled his first translation of the the New Testament into England in 1526. A hundred or so years later, or more, we ended up with uh, the King James Bible, which is essentially Tyndale's Bible, just modified a bit. And that has become the the foundation for the modern English language and and the God's word being taken to many places around the world. But Tyndale's passion wasn't just so people would have the Bible in their own language, which is a really good thing to have. It's great to have for people around the world now to still be getting the Bible translated into their own heart language, the, the language which they understand and and cherish. Just like in 
It's translated into Gaelic for the Irish and the Scots. It's translated into French for the French and into many minority languages, just as Wycliffe had began to do before Tyndale had such a good translation. Tyndale's motivation was that people would not only have it, but that they would live by it, that they would read it, understand it, and obey it. The reformers believed in the, the Bible, God's word is the ultimate or supreme authority over even the church and its highest councils. Their rallying cry was the Bible alone or in Latin as it's more famously known, sola scriptura. That doesn't mean we ignore church traditions. Not at all. We don't throw out of the window all the accumulated teaching of many godly people down through the centuries. In fact, we learn from them. But we still hold the Bible as authoritative over them. And even if, even if we come to God's word with the insights of so many people in the past, well, we shouldn't be coming to God's word and neglecting all that all the ways God has blessed in the past as if reinventing the wheel and making the same errors and same heresies that the early church resolved back in the first few hundred years and all the the richness of doctrine and devotional literature that's been written since then. We ought to, as they say, stand on the, the shoulders of giants. Even a Even a dwarf... Standing on the on the shoulders of a giant, they're higher than the giant, and they can see further than the giant. They're not as big as the giant, but because they're standing on the giant's shoulders, they can see further. And so that analogy of standing on giant's shoulders is what we do when we come to the truths of God's word. We build upon the accumulated understanding and and labors of many people down through the years but ultimately it is God's word which is the truth which is the, the ultimate truth which determines what we believe and how we live what happens when we don't understand what the Bible says should then a church council or an individual stand on authority over the Bible and say this is what it means? Well, that's not letting the Bible be the supreme authority. The principle is that we let the Bible interpret the Bible, let God interpret his own word. If there's a passage which is difficult, we look for other passages on the same topic which are clear. God doesn't contradict himself, so his clear passage will interpret the not-so-clear passage. And if there are some passages which are not entirely clear and there's no other passages to interpret them, well, they are not really that important for us to know. The Reformers had this doctrine, this understanding called the perspicuity of the Bible. Well, I like to think of it as a it's like perspex, you can see through it. It's clear. The things that are important for us to know in the Bible they held 
are clear enough for us to know in the Bible. The things which are not clear, well, God may reveal them in time, but the things that we need to know are clear enough. The Bible is clear enough to interpret itself. So we read in 2 Timothy 3, 16, that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Or as the more literally ESV translation puts it, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture, from the first book to the last, is all that we need for teaching in matters of faith and conduct. The Bible doesn't claim to be a science book, but where it touches on matters of science, we believe that it is inerrant and infallible. There's no errors in it. But it's mainly a book about God and his way of salvation. In our statement of faith, which is on our website, which is from the World Evangelical Alliance Statement of Faith, we believe in the Holy Scriptures as originally given by God, divinely inspired, infallible, entirely trustworthy, and the supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. If I or anyone tells you or teaches you something that is not consistent with God's word, then talk to me. Talk to them. Ask for clarity. Maybe we're misunderstanding what they're saying. But if what they're saying is clearly against God's word, they need to be challenged. I need to be challenged. The pastor or the head of a denomination is not above God's word. We need to be submissive to it. And we all tend to go astray and we're, we need to be careful on these things. Far too often we find that the people twist God's word and they don't submit to it. They don't find out what does it say in order to find out what must I believe and how must I live. Far too many people decide on their own intentions, their own thoughts, and then they try and pull the Bible in to justify what they want to do. Twisting the Bible happens far too often. Let me just give you two examples. We know that the the Bible has been politicized by Ian Paisley in the past here into a, an Ulster Protestantism for God and Ulster, which was more of an Old Testament interpretation for a New Testament people, which which excluded others and had all kinds of problems. We know Joel Olstein's prosperity gospel, a light version of the prosperity gospel, or more of a self-help, a motivational message, where Jesus isn't there to atone for our sins. Jesus is there, God is there simply to grant our desires whatever we wish. 
these are just a couple of examples of how people don't listen to what the Bible says to act upon it humbly and faithfully but they have their own agenda and they use the Bible to promote that instead when it comes to our needs the self-help version of the the gospel this prosperity message is ultimately unhelpful and even harmful as well as being unbiblical it focuses on us on our desires on self and we know from Jeremiah 17:9 that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked who really knows how bad it is if we're focusing on our heart's desires and our hearts are sinful well we're going to go off in, in a very wrong direction and that's what's happened with the prosperity gospel and so much Christianity which is therapeutic and all about me and how I feel today it's into this self-centered world that God has given us his word that we might have an anchor for what we believe and how we live something fixed, something firm that's not based on our desires and our interpretations when we approach God's word well we need to approach it prayerfully we need to first come to God's word prayerfully asking God to reveal to us his truth if we're not coming to listen if we've got an attitude in our hearts which is not humble before God not wanting to hear from him then we're likely just going to not get anything from it but if we come prayerfully that's the start if we come humbly not sitting in judgment of God's word as what you got to say today what's this passage saying we're we're taking it and then evaluating it and sitting in judgment on it I don't like that no we ought to accept that we don't do everything <clears throat> we ought not to come to God's word like a, a teacher looks at some of their pupils or a student's homework and grades it we ought to come to God's word and say with a humble heart that needs to learn God how do you want me to live how do you want me to change? We must come submissively, being willing to change our beliefs and how we live, to be in line with what God says. And this is where a lot of Christians really trip up. We often come to God's word and, well, when he says something that we already agree with, we'll accept it. But when he says something that's just challenging to us and we don't like it, well, I'll put that to one side. Let me find another bit to read that I like. Well, when we agree with God's word, when his word agrees with us, all we're doing is agreeing with ourselves. We become the ultimate authority instead of God's word. When was the last time any of us read something in God's word? I thought, whoa. That's challenging. That's not what I thought. And as a result of that, we consider it, we read, we 
And then we accept and live on the basis of that. We change how we think in order to come in line with what God thinks. We come under the authority of God's word rather than putting it under our authority, our understanding. We should come expectantly. We should approach God's word expecting to hear him speak to us. We don't necessarily need to hear something new every time we read it. Sometimes we, we... it doesn't stand out to us, but sometimes it really does. Um, his word is a lamp to guide our feet and a light for our path. We should come expecting that God will guide us. And we can come joyfully to his word to find encouragement that the God of the universe is speaking to us. That should encourage us. And we should come with assurance God's word is true. We can trust it. In the original languages, when it was first penned, there were no errors in it. And insofar as our translations are faithful to the originally given scriptures, we have God's word faithfully translated and in our hands. With so many copies of the original and so close to when they were originally penned, and with translations now not being translated into Latin and translated into English and translated into some other language, not like Chinese whispers with... It's always difficult to translate idioms, but when you translate them from one language to the next, then you can lose something in some places along the way. But with... For hundreds of years now, modern translations going directly to the Hebrew, to the Greek, to the Aramaic, straight into our own language. We have got far better translations, far more reliable scriptures than, well, the reliability of the Bible is far more reliable than even the works of Shakespeare. Nobody questions that. Or the works of Plato and of many other philosophers. We have got a trustworthy Bible. Let's be confident. Let's have assurance. I'm speaking about translations, not paraphrases like the message, which are more of an interpretation than a translation. But and they can be helpful at times. But and let's look to God for guidance from His Word. Sometimes, if we're looking for guidance for certain situations. We don't need to hear a special word from the Lord. He gives us his basics so often. If we're wondering, should we get a job that pays cash in hand or should we wait and look for another job where we can do it legit and pay taxes? Well, Romans 13 tells us we need to pay our taxes. So there's no point looking to God's words trying to get a a message that will say, yeah, go get the job that pays you cash in hand. That's just an example. There are many other examples. If we're wondering, should we go out with a with an unbeliever? Should we get married to an unbeliever? Well, the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked. Once we have understood God's basic, His clear 
word in terms of guidance. Then in a specific situation, which the Bible doesn't specifically address, we can then pray and ask God to guide us and directly. And sometimes his word will speak in a way to us which guides us in a very special way. When we talk about God's word, we're, we're talking about the Bible of the 66 books made up of the 39 Old Testament books, not the additional religious books that were later said to be part of the Old Testament. The Jews at the time of Jesus and even today only accept the 39 books. And the 27 books of the New Testament, which the early church used them as authoritative long before they were formally documented as such at the Council of Carthage at the year 397. But it's interesting to note that the word of God was generally given to the prophets as words from God. Spoken, given to the prophets as the word of God. On rare occasions it was actually written and given to the prophets such as the the tablets that were given to Moses as already written out. And Sometimes the Spirit speaks to people today in prophecy. We have prophecy today, but it's not the same as the Old Testament prophecy. Although Wayne Grudem defines prophecies today, he says, although several definitions have been given for the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, a fresh examination of the New Testament teaching on this gift will show that it should be defined not as predicting the future, nor as proclaiming a word from the Lord, as prophets did in the Old Testament, nor as powerful preaching, but rather as telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. While Old Testament prophets received the word of God and it became incorporated into the scriptures as the word of God, New Testament prophets don't give us the infallible, the inerrant word of God, like they did. In the past, as Peter tells us, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. They spoke the words of God which had the authority of God. But Prophets in the New Testament era, after the apostles, after the prophets in the Old Testament, speak with things which are mixed with, you know, they've had a revelation from God and then they communicate their understanding of that. And sometimes they can get it a bit wrong. Like Agabus in Acts 11 made a prophecy about Paul that the Jews would bind him. Actually, it was the Romans who bind him. The Jews hadn't tried to do that at all. So Grudem writes, prophecies in the church today should be considered as merely human words, not God's words, not equal to God's word and authority. He notes that although many charismatics give the impression that their words should carry the, the same authority of, as God's word, I have a word from the Lord for you, that kind of thing. Even charismatic teachers disagree with that. For example, Bruce Yoakum, the author of a widely used charismatic book on prophecy, writes, Prophecy can be impure 
Our own thoughts or ideas can get mixed into the message we receive, whether we receive the words directly or only receive a sense of the message. Or another charismatic pastor, Michael Harper, has written, Prophecies which tell other people what they are to do are to be regarded with great suspicion. Grudem says, If someone really does think God is bringing something to mind, which should be reported in the congregation or in a one-to-one. There's nothing wrong with saying, I think the Lord is putting this on my, my mind that, and so on. Or, seems to me that the Lord is showing us. Rather than saying, the Lord has told me, and therefore you ought to do what I say. We need to be careful that God's word, God's written word, the scripture is the supreme authority. Prophecy is good but we're not bound to obey what somebody shares with us. Yet the teaching of the written scripture, the word of God, is what we need to follow. And prophecy simply today often just reminds us or applies to us the eternal truths of God's word. So as we come to a conclusion today, hopefully next week we'll be focusing not just on God's word and our response to it, but on God's truth contained in his word and our response to it. Let's be encouraged. We have today unparalleled access to the Bible. There are people in some countries around the world who have maybe a gospel in their own language or maybe the four gospels or even the New Testament, but not the whole Bible. Or they have it in a language that is not their first language. At the Reformation, with the printing press, Bibles were able to be reproduced and each church could have its own Bible. Very often there was a big Bible, a church would have one Bible and it would be on the pulpit and sometimes chained to the pulpit so nobody could steal it. They were called pulpit Bibles. But today we've got so many good translations in English and we've got some in Irish too. There's an increasing number of scriptures available online in Irish as well. We have Bibles printed cheaply. No longer does it cost a month or two's wages to get the scriptures before the printing press as it was. But now we can get them for under a tenner. We can get them for free on apps, on our phones, or on the internet. And today, we take it for granted that everyone has their own copy of the Bible. In the past, people had to memorize. They would go to the synagogue, go to church, hear God's word, and they would try and remember it. They would use memory verses. They would memorize whole chapters because they didn't have their own copy of God's word. We are so privileged that we had We can read it ourselves each day. So let's not just use the Bible as something that we can occasionally dip in and out of, that we might find something inspirational from. Let's use the Bible. Let's read it each day. Let's let's communicate with God each day to find out what he wants to say to us.
Reading the Bible is part of a two-way relationship with God. He speaks to us through his word and we speak to him in prayer. We pray and we read and we find answers to prayer sometimes in his word as we read. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. For those who haven't come to faith, the Bible tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So God's word brings light into our lives. It brings the message of salvation into our lives. It, it can touch even the most callous heart. The Holy Spirit can change through God's word even the most reluctant heart. So let's be encouraged. Let's read God's word. Let's have it as a supreme authority. And let's submit to it. Let's be encouraged as God speaks to us. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, Peter tells us. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for giving your word into our lives. We thank you that you have spoken. We thank you that you have brought light into our darkness. Lord, forgive us when we have been too slow to come to hear you speak to us through your word. Forgive us when we have not listened as we ought to. Forgive us, Lord, when we have not lived as you have guided us and directed us. But Lord, help us now to to humble ourselves before you, to learn from you, and to walk more closely with you as a result. Lord, we thank you for giving us the wonderful blessing of your word. Help us to cherish it and to live by it. In Jesus' name. Amen.